fiancé in a two-bedroom stucco house on a canal in Fort Lauderdale. He grinned at his losses, his eyes wrinkling at the corners as though a humorous acknowledgement of his problem made it less than it was. On Saturdays, he ate an early lunch of a hamburger and glass of milk at the bar while he studied the morning telegraph, his ink-black hair cut short, his face always good-natured. By one o'clock, he and I would be out at the track together, convinced that we knew the future, the drone of the crowd mysteriously erasing any fears of mortality we may have possessed. On a sunny weekday afternoon, when the jacaranda trees and bougainvillea were in bloom, Dallas strolled into the bar whistling a tune. He'd picked three NFL winners that week, and today he'd hit a perfecta and a quinella at Hialeah. He bought a round of well drinks for the house and had dinners of T-bones and Irish potatoes brought in for him and me. Then two men of a kind you never want to meet came through the front door, the taller one beckoning to the bartender, the shorter man scanning the tables, waiting for his eyes to adjust to the darkness of the bar's interior. Got to Dee Dee, Dave, call me, Dallas said, dropping his fork and steak knife in his plate, pulling his leather jacket off the back of his chair. He was out the back door like a shot. He made it as far as a lavender Cadillac where a man as big as the sky waited for him, his arms folded on his chest, his wraparound mirror shade swimming with distorted images of minarets and broken glass sprinkled along the top of a stucco wall. The two men who had come in through the front of the bar followed Dallas outside. I hesitated, then wiped my mouth with my napkin and went outside too. The parking area had been created out of crushed building material that was spiked with weeds. The wind was blowing hard, and the royal palms out on the boulevard thrashed and twisted against a perfect blue sky. The three men whom I did not know had formed a circle around Dallas, as though each of them had a fixed role he had played many times before. The driver of the caddy had the biggest neck I had ever seen on a human being. It was as wide as his jowls, his tie and collar pin like formal dress on a pig. He chewed gum and gazed at the palm trees whipping against the sky as though he were disengaged from the conversation. The man who had spoken to the bartender was the talker. He wore polyester sports clothes and white loafers and looked like a consumptive, his hair as white as meringue, his shoulders stooped with bone loss, his face netted with the lines of a chain smoker. Whitey is supposed to carry you for 16 large, he said. That ain't his money. He's paying a point and a half vig a week on that. No, Dallas, you don't talk, you listen. Everybody appreciates what you did for your country, but when you owe 16 large, that war hero shit don't slide down the pipe. But the man who caught my eye was the short one. He seemed wrapped too tight for his own body same way a meth addict seems to boil in his own juices. His mouth was like a horizontal keyhole, the corner of his upper lip exposing his teeth as though he was starting to grin. He listened intently to every word in the conversation, waiting for the green light to flash, his eyes flickering with anticipation. The consumptive man rested his palm on Dallas's shoulder. What? You think we're being hard on you? You want Ernesto to drive us out in the glade so we can talk there? Whitey likes you, kid. You got no idea how much he likes you, how kind you're being treated here. 
You gentlemen have a problem with my friend Dallas? I asked. In the quiet, I could hear the palm fronds rattling above the stucco wall, a gust of wind tumbling a piece of newspaper past a spiked iron gate. No, we don't got a problem, the short man said, turning toward me, the sole of one shoe grinding on a piece of broken mortar. His hair was peroxided, feathered on the back of his neck. He wore platform shoes and a dark blue suit that was cut so the flap stuck out from his waist, and a silver shirt dancing with light, and a silk kerchief tied around his throat. His eyes contained a cool green fire whose source a cautious man doesn't probe. Dallas has a phone call, I said. Take a message, the short man said. It's his mother. She really gets mad when Dallas doesn't come to the phone, I said. He's a cop, the driver of the caddy said, removing his shades, pinching the glare out of his eyes.